Good morning. How many are ready for the word of the Lord this morning? I know I am. I, you know, it's, it's, it's very humbling when our largest, largest attendance is when a 16-year-old gets behind the pulpit and brings a word from heaven. Amen. That is such... That girl raised the bar so high, I'm like, Holy Ghost, I need to pole vault over it. I can't high jump. I got to pole vault over that bar that she raised. And uh, what a word of the Lord that was dropped in this house. I'm still listening to it. I'm telling you, I am still listening to that message that McKenna brought. My goodness. And here I thought it was going to be for the young people. I had more adults come to me and say that message was for me than I had young people. And so she launched into what God had already had for her. And so what a great setup for what I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, I believe this message is for everybody. I really do. Um, all week I've just been praying into this message. And um, I'm going to pray that God will help me to bring it and to deliver it the way that he gave it to me. Um, no other name is the title. No other name. And when we understand the significance of that statement, I am convinced that we will start to live out the purpose that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I have to admit I've made some mistakes in my life that I would even call some stupid mistakes. If I had to describe it, there's mistakes that just flat out, I don't know if I can even say it in church. Well, it's in the Bible. Stupid's in the Bible, so I can say it then. As long as it's in the Bible, right? I've made some, some mistakes that... If it hadn't been for the grace of God, um, if it had not been for the mercy of God, I don't know where I'd be. And so that statement and that truth has caused me for the last, well, since 1988, has caused me to pursue God in an area that I believe every single one of us needs to come to a conclusion of. I don't care how far you've been away from God. It doesn't matter what you have done. I am convinced when this revelation hits you that you would be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has a purpose for your life and you to live it every single day. So how many are ready to go on this journey with me because we're just going to unfold a couple of things then we're going to get to where I need to bring you based on what the Holy Spirit is saying and what he is doing. With your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Father, the temptation is to be moved by the opinion of men. Let me be moved more by the anointing of God. Mm, amen. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Proverbs 30 verse 4. For the last three months, I have been reading a proverb a day, a chapter a day of the Proverbs. I uh, first, Megan and I started to read the book of Proverbs, and then we did it for another month. And then I said, I'm going to still read a book of Proverbs, a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And I want to make this statement to all the men that are here um, that I believe one of the most important asset that a man can have is wisdom. I mentioned earlier that I've made some mistakes, I've made some choices that weren't healthy, and 
every mistake that I made and every choice I made, I lacked wisdom in that particular area. So to stop the cycle, I need to then get wisdom in me so that I'm able to live and make decisions that are, that are healthy for me and for my family. I have to confess to you that um, the enemy likes to beat up on me mentally in the sense of my thoughts. Anami battle with thoughts. He tries to put thoughts in your mind and lodge them there as if those are truth. And therefore, you live with those things. And so for me, it could be a simple thing of you read a description about someone's sickness, and all of a sudden, you think you have those same symptoms. And all of a sudden, a scratchy throat. Oh, gosh, okay, I got a scratchy throat. And he says, see, now you got the very thing that you were trying to avoid. And, and he constantly tries to bombard my mind with thoughts to get me to make decisions based on fear and lie rather than based on the truth of God's word. And so we're always going to be in this conflict until Jesus calls us home or until he comes back for us. But the great thing about God is that he has equipped us to win the battle every single time. And so that's why when I come together around the believers, I need you Because when you start declaring the truth of God, you are penetrating those lies in my mind and pushing them out of my mind. So that's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourself together. Sure, you can sit and watch it on TV. Of course, with technology now, you can go and have a great experience with God in your home. I'm not saying that that can't be possible. But there's just something about being together in one place that you just can't capture behind the camera. I mean, you, you, I mean when, when Jesus was walking with the multitudes and he was performing great miracles and when they would tell people, it just wasn't the same as if they were there watching it for themselves. And so you're here this morning and so God is going to give you an eyewitness of what he wants to do. Because here's the thing, we have to win the battle for our mind. We do. We really do. Because there's decisions that you know you have to make, decisions that you have made, that sometimes you're looking back at those decisions, wondering, did I make the right decision? And if you live in that place of, I can't move forward, I can't go back, you are stuck right in the middle. And the only way to get free of that is to say, God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom so I can step into what you have for me to accomplish. And so therefore, with that being said, we, we look at... Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm encouraging the men to read a Proverbs a day. Read, read a chapter every single day and, and get wisdom because if we go and we look at Adam, Adam was given the responsibility to name the animals and it requires a lot of wisdom. Adam in his creation used 100% of his genius. Now how many of you want to marry a man like that or want to, want to have someone like that that you like can use 100% of their genius? In Sports Illustrated magazine, the front cover was the American athletes that won gold and underneath it says greatness. And yet science tells us they only tapped into 10% of their ability. So still there's 90% of untapped potential that still exists in these athletes that won gold that we have given them the label greatness. We're acknowledging 10% and we're saying, that's great. And God is saying, I got so much more for you. But you got to go to the genesis of greatness. You go back to Adam and see that Adam was a man who was able to speak things into existence because he was part of the DNA of God himself. When you have wisdom like that, you can make great decisions and lead in 
in every area of your life. Sisters as well, when you walk in that wisdom that God has for you, you understand that every time you leave a room, you leave part of you in a room, you leave your fragrance. You leave your fragrance, that signature fragrance that you have. And so you want to live in your greatness knowing that you can change the atmosphere of where you are. And so wisdom is the very thing that's able to, 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 to do that. That you, that you know when I left the room, I shift the atmosphere. I, I, I shift the atmosphere. When, whenever you leave an area, you want to know you left part of your, your, part of your greatness was left there. Because it's the glory of God. When you leave a room, when you leave an assignment, people can identify the greatness of God because that's what you carry. Because there's no other name. There's no other name. It's not Rowan. No. My parents gave me that name. It is a child of God. That's the name. But if I don't live up to it, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't believe that, I won't live to my potential. So how many of you here this morning, you want to live more than just 10% of your potential? Right? Okay? So it takes more than science to live. More than 10%. Because that's what science says. Science says that man has the ability to only tap into 10% of their genius. But God says, I always go back to my original design. And my thoughts and my heart for you is to tap into the other 90%. And you can change the city. You can change your world. You can change everything to reflect the nature of and the heartbeat of God. So in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, um, as a backdrop to the book of Proverbs, majority, not all of the sayings or all of the oracles were written by Solomon. Solomon was given the task of leading a people. He was given the assignment because his father had a heart for God And if you're familiar with biblical history, the greatest king ever of the nation of Israel would be David. The greatest king ever was David. He was a warrior. He was a worshiper. He was was good looking. He was was strong. He, he, He was a righteous king. He was a king that wanted the presence of God more than the applause of people. Um, um, David was, was such a man, but yet David had battles as well. David had battles as well. And so he now has a son, and he is given the task of, of financing the movement for another generation. And so here it is now that, that God says, David, I see your heart, and you want to build me a temple, but you're a man of war. I'm not going to make it your son. Your son is going to be the one who is going to build the temple. And so God comes to, to Solomon now, and, and he says, what do you want from me? Can you imagine having access to God like that? That you're in such a relationship, Mother Cook, with God, that God can say, what do you want? And so Solomon then looks, and for many of us, we could have says, well, what are some of the things that I need? Well, you know, and all the material things. And Solomon says, hold on a second. I have been given the task of leading people. And what I need, the King James says, is a discernment, and some call it, I need wisdom. And Solomon says, I need wisdom to lead your people, to lead your people. And so we need wisdom, first of all, to lead yourself 
so you can lead other people. Whether at your job, whether if you're married, it doesn't matter if you're a parent, it doesn't matter. You, we, you and I need wisdom so that we can do the things that God has for us. And Solomon says, I need wisdom. And so here it is now that Solomon and the Bible declares he was the wisest man that ever lived. That ever lived. And he writes the book of Proverbs and he's also uh, a given for the book of Ecclesiastic as well. Uh, but, 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 in, but in Proverbs 30, this is not Solomon that's writing this. It's not. He, he wrote most of them, but, but, but this is not Solomon. And the Bible says in, 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 in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, here is this, this, this writer. His name is Agur, or, or A-G-U-R. And, and we only read about him here in this particular chapter. Um, he's only mentioned here. But what he has to say is so profound that it made it to the canon of scripture. And so he begins, and he first of all wants to let us know that as, as man, our ability to reason can only go so far. And when we try to solve issues and problems through our own wisdom, Paul calls the wisdom of man, there is a limit that we're going to get to. So he says, man's reason can only go so far. And here's what he says. He says this in verse 2 of Proverbs 30, before I get to verse 4. Surely I am more stupid than any man. He's not putting himself down. He's coming to a realization that to understand the things of God, I need more than just human reasoning to understand those things. And he gets to a place of humility. He gets to a place where he said, I don't understand. Because he continues, and do not have understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom, verse 3, nor have knowledge of the Holy One. And here's where we want to park it for the next few weeks. He says this, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? Here it is now. Here it is. What is his name? And if he stopped there, we could go back to Moses. We talked about Moses went down to Egypt and he was asking them, what is his name? And that was just for comparison. But now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Someone say, go deeper. Because he doesn't just stop by saying, what is his name? Because we can answer that and we can say, he's the I am that I am. And that's a revelation for the Old Testament. That's God revealed himself to a people who were coming out of Egyptian bondage. He was revealing himself to a people who's been enslaved for so long that didn't know who they were, that couldn't live up to their potential. And here's what is sad about the situation when they were in Egypt. That Pharaoh knew how powerful they were, but they didn't know how powerful they were. And so the enemy puts a lie in your mind. He puts a lie in your heart. So you refuse to believe how powerful you are because you allow the circumstances around you to dictate and to define who you are. McKenna called that label. And so we got to break the label. And so he says here, what is his name? But he continues on. He says this. He goes on. And what is his son's name? Now that changes everything. That changes everything. We know the son of David was Solomon. And we can identify so many other fathers 
and their sons. But he's asking a question. And for many people, when we talk about the messianic prophecies that comes in Genesis 3, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where it says the seed of the woman shall crush the head of the serpent. Many believe that that is a messianic promise of Jesus coming in Genesis chapter 3. But here it is in Proverbs that this individual who only made it into the scriptures once, that only time we read about his name is right here, that when he moved from reasoning to revelation, God dropped a revelation in his spirit that is changing humanity for all of 2,000 plus centuries. Are you getting that? Let me slow down. Watch this. When we move past the reasoning and we live by revelation, God will tell us not only what his name is, but he'll tell us the name of his son. Woo! You see, that's what separates every other religion. That they could tell the name of their gods, but when they try to the name of the son, that's where the issue is. And so here we're seeing a clear distinction that God wants to reveal wisdom to us that we can walk in revelation. That we can walk in revelation. Is that making sense? Is it making sense? Because here's why, church, we have an assignment. We have an assignment. My first point is this. My first point is this. I like holidays. I, I, I do. My family thinks I don't like Christmas. But I, do. I don't like the cold. But I like Christmas. So you can do Christmas in Florida where it's nice and warm or Tennessee. You know what I mean? You can still do Christmas there. But I, I married a woman from Montreal who loves snow for some reason. We're, we're praying for her. And, and, and so, so she loves this weather. She, she really enjoys uh, a winter. Um, but God has an assignment for us. And, and, and so watch this now. Um, since, since I was 13 years old, and when we talk about holidays, um, you may think this message I'm preaching should be preached the third Sunday in the month of June when we celebrate Father's Day. And what happens, because we categorize different holidays, we, we, we sometimes will miss what God wants to reveal to us outside of the normal calendar that we celebrate. That I can look at a message like this and think, well, no, you're out of season, Rowan. You're either late or you're too soon. But what God wants us to know, what he wants for us to reveal is simply this. Watch this now. Can I get my statement up, up, up on, the, uh, on the screen, Danny? Can you put my statement up on it? I can literally drop the mic and go home after I read this statement to you. Here's, a, here's the word that God wants us to receive. And if you get a hold of this, you will live in 100% of your capacity to live for God. Bill Johnson made this. And I'm listening to this message about Jesus came to reveal the Father. And I'm listening to this message, and I'm in my car, and it was as if God, it was as if literally God made everything just, just, just stop. He says, Ron, rewind, and listen to this statement again. And listen to it again. He says, go back, listen to it again. And here's a statement that we all need to have. Watch this. We have a father. He is perfect. Stop right there. He is perfect. He is wild about us. And he has made provision for us to be restored to him. End of statement right there. Right there. Right there. That's the statement right there. We have a father. He is perfect. He is wild about us, and he has made provision for us to be restored to him. Now, when I read that statement at the age of 13 years old, that statement was a lie. 
Because at 13 years old, watching my father walk out of my life, I connected that to God. And I looked at this statement and I said, hold on a second here. If this is supposed to be a good, good father, why is this happening to me then? What did I do? What are the things that, that, that I contribute to this? At the age of 13 years old. And here is what the enemy was trying to do. The enemy was putting a label on me to become a statistic. And so science tells us this. Watch this now. Science tells us, and, and, and father advocates tell us, that every social ill, every single one, can be traced back to a fatherlessness nation. Every single one. You name it, it can be traced back. Science... We haven't got the scripture yet. Science is telling us with human reasoning that if you look at every single issue that exists, it can be traced back to that. And so here it is now. The government can't answer it. Other, they can't answer it. And God is saying, I've given this revelation to the church. And that's why I'm speaking about it today. Because when we get this revelation, we start speaking this revelation, we are going to see the glory of God manifest in this city and in this nation like never before. Is anybody going to join me when we look at this? I'm just giving you the science. The science from doing research says this. That poverty, drug and alcohol abuse, physical and emotional health, educational achievement, crime, sexual activity, teen pregnancy, and on and on and on could all be traced back to a fatherless nation. Where the father is absent. Some out of death, they died. Some out of a painful divorce. Some out of being displaced. And whatever the reason is, this is what the science is telling us. They're telling us this every single time. Even the politicians are getting involved and trying to help a particular group say, hey, hey, this is the issue. They're giving the science. But I'm here to tell the church, we have the answer. And we're going to tap more than just 10%. We're going to believe God. God, give us a revelation because this statistic cannot continue. If we want to see God move in a powerful way, this statistic has got to stop. So in my bio, I write, I went against the statistic of being raised by a single mother. Huh? My 40th birthday party. My, my, my mentor, my brother-in-law comes. And he's, he's preaching a message. I invite him to come and speak. And, and he shares something that, that I lacked for so long was, I just need a word of affirmation. I never got that from my dad. I never got the affirmation. If I asked him for something, he always yelled. And so whenever I would to go ask him something, I would duck and I would go in knowing that he's about to yell. I'm about to get yelled at. And so therefore, all of a sudden, I stopped going to ask him. And so what happened was any authority figure that come in my life and they resembled something like that, I would climb up, I couldn't speak, and here I was not living my potential because I'm living the lie because the enemy has statistics that's on me. And so he, he, he gave this story about his son and he said this. He said he was teaching his son how to ride a bike. And... And as he was, his son was riding his bike, he kept looking back and kept saying, Dad, am I okay? And he will yell back, Son, you're doing great. Keep pedaling. 
And his son would pedal some more. And then he would look back and, and he would say, Dad, am I doing okay? And he said, Son, you're doing great. And he said, Keep pedaling, though, buddy. Keep pedaling. And he would keep pedaling. And finally, he would, he would look back and says, Dad, am I doing okay? And, and, and Dale goes, he's not going to stop. So he goes and he hides. And so he can't see him. And so he pedals. He turns around. He comes back and he says, dude, he goes, why would you keep asking me if, if you're doing okay? And his son said this. I just need to hear it. I just need to hear that I'm doing okay. I just need to hear your affirmation as a father. And when he said to me, I'm a 40-year-old man. And so from the age of 13 to 40, I'm looking at the span of time. And at 40 years old, God brought the freedom into my life to say, Rowan, not only do you know my name, I'm not going to tell you the name of my son. Because when he was baptized, it came out of the water. I heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so the affirmation that daddy gave to the son is the affirmation that we have. And in the book of Proverbs where Solomon wrote so many of the saints, God said, pause here, pause there. Let's put this person in and let's have him give a revelation. And now church, we must take this message and we must tell everybody that God is a good, good father. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. These statistics should never condemn those who are in church. At least you're in a place of getting revelation how to change things. These statistics should never make you feel unworthy. Should never make you feel like you're of, of no value. These statistics ought to get you upset. They ought to get you mad. You ought to have a righteous nation inside of you that says, I've got to tell every child out there that you have a father who loves you. His name is God Almighty. And though he's the creator, and though he's a sustainer, and though he can heal you, the greatest name the greatest word they want to hear is is he my father is he my father this is so important to God that he closed out the old testament go to Malachi chapter 4 he closed out the new testament by giving a prophetic promise in the book of Malachi all throughout the scripture he's dealing with the nation there's characteristics of God but now he comes to the final the final chapter, the final book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And he begins and he says this in verse number two of Malachi. Verse two, he says this, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing. Oh, God. But for you who fear my name, what name? Father. Because early he said, if I'm your father, where's my honor then? And he said, for those who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And there are people who, are, who have been sick because of the death of, of a father who left him at such a young age. And they say, God, how am I going to make it? But he's saying, now listen, fear my name because there is healing in the wings. 
He says, you shall, you shall go out with leaping like a calf from the stall. He's giving the example of the freedom that you can have in knowing that God is, is, is your father. And he goes on and he says this, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes on the sole of your feet. And on, on that day when I act, say the Lord of hosts. And now he says this, he says this now, watch this. He, he goes now in verse number five, he says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And watch this, what he says, watch this. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to, to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And watch this now, church, we stand the balance. Lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. And so the science is keeping up with the scripture. See, see, it doesn't matter what, what man and their reasoning come up with. We know it by scripture. We know it by revelation, not just by reasoning. And so revelation tells us this, that if we don't send this message out, if we don't let people know that God is a good God, the land itself will be in utter destruction. Let's make it more personal. Your life, your home will be in utter destruction. I have to share this. You see... God's not just talking about us fathering from a biological perspective. Huh? Because the enemy was trying to mess people up when I worked in foster care. I'll never forget this situation. I'm in foster care. I'm working. And this one young lady, I may have shared it here before, so if I have, please indulge me to share it again as the Holy Spirit's leading me to just to share this. Uh, there's this young girl, and she's in foster care. And, and so every single time, we actually, we had to, we had to, Redo the floor because, because she would urinate so much at night that, that, that the urine would actually get to the floor and actually eat away at the floor. And so we had, to, we had to redo the floor. And the reason for that was because she's in foster care in the different homes that she went to, that she would be molested, she, she, she would be abused, she, she, she would be vandalized. And so the only way she can keep the perp off was to, was to urinate and to, and to go. And so that they would think, okay, you're nasty, I can't have you. And that was the lie. That was the labor. That's what she had to do. Destruction in her life. Destruction in her life. And many of those who get into human trafficking is because of that and they run away. And so all of a sudden, someone who is wicked from the enemy, come on somebody, that tells them a lie, goes ahead and tries to capture them and tries to use them and abuse them. So we need men who can say, I can play that role in your life. Because I don't want this land to be destructive. I don't, I don't want this to happen. Because we've got to stop the signs. In the movie, Taken... I watched it once, couldn't watch it again. And the father kept saying, don't go. Don't go. And they wouldn't listen. And all of a sudden, in the movie, she's taken. And the phone call comes to the father. And he remembers the voice. He remembered the voice. See, the enemy, if he understands, if he speaks, you know the truth. So when he speaks, you know it's a lie. Because the Bible says every time he speaks, he speaks a lie. And so the father heard the voice of the wicked one. He says, come and get her if you think you can. And that was that devil when he, he, he got a hold of us and says, I now have him, God. What are you going to do? He made the phone call to God. I've taken them, God. And this land is now going to be destroyed. Because your character is one, God. That you said you have to be a man to operate in this realm. 
You're over in another reality. How are you going to come into this reality? Help me, Holy Ghost. The reasoning was, you're in that reality. How could you come into this reality? And so, we already saw that God was creator. We already saw that God was all this thing. But God now had to become a father. He had to reveal that part of him. Not become, he always was the father. And so, just like in the movie Taken, where he said, I heard the voice. And he says, I need a plane. I need to access all the resources. See, the dude didn't recognize that this father was CIA. Come on, somebody. That had access to resources that he didn't know about. He had connections in different, come on, different places of the earth that he didn't recognize. So he made one phone call, get me a plan. I got to enter into that world that he's in. Because he used technology. He said, okay, I'm going to use a phone to get to the father. God says, now watch this now. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come and rescue you. Didn't stay back and says, okay, well, you should have learned from that mistake. What are you doing going over there? He says, my dad, my daughter's in trouble. I got to use my resources. I got to use my resources. And so, so the question is, well, well, what is your name? God, and I'm father. What is the name of your son? Woo, good God Almighty. So I'm going to send my son from one reality into another reality. He's a good, good father. And so he gets there. And all the father had was the voice. All he had was the voice. Every time he would talk, he's waiting for that voice. He's trying to find where you took my daughter. Come on, where are you taking him? He's trying to find the voice. He's trying to find the voice. And finally, after it goes everywhere, he used all his resources, everything available. See, when you as a father have a love for your children, come on, you turn the hearts of the father back to the children and the children's hearts back to the father. And he goes. And in the last scene, this child was sold on the auction. Come on. You had all these people that were trying to buy her, just like Gomer and Hosea. Come on, they're trying to buy her. And he put her right there, and everyone's trying to buy her. And the enemy's saying, you can't pay the price, God. But here was a father passionately pursuing his child. Passionately pursuing his child. I'm coming after you. Hold on, I'm coming. Don't quit. Don't believe the lie. Don't commit suicide. Hold on, I'm coming. I'm coming, I'm coming to you. I know it's a dark place. I know it's a place that you're looking back. I made a stupid mistake. Oh, my God. But the daddy said, I'm coming. I'm coming, Leo. I'm coming. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. I'm coming. I'm coming. And so there's a scene where, where he sees that she's being auctioned off. And they, and they, and they captured they captured this father. And, and they're holding him up like this. And. They, they thought they got away with it. But, but the father's heart is too big for change to hold him. Come on, somebody. And God's heart is too big for the cross to hold his son. And so they capture him and says, what are you going to do now? We've got him. But all of a sudden the father said, no, no, no. I, I, I got something that you don't recognize. Come on. I've got a heart after my children. And I'll move mountains out of the way. I'll do whatever I got to do to get to them. I made a covenant. I made a promise with them. And I've got to restore that because I'm a good, I'm a good, I'm a good, I'm a good, good father. It looks like you killed me. But the third day is coming. There's going to be a resurrection because I made a commitment to my children. I'm coming after them. My father breaks out and and he's there, and, and his last hope is that she's, 
she was sold. And the last hope, he's driving in the car and he's doing everything. He's knocking things out of his way. He's, he's going after his daughter. He said, I didn't come here not to bring her back home. I came. I, got, I came. And he takes the boat, the car, and he flies over. He lands on the boat and he gets in the boat and, and all the armed guards now. And see, see, when God's coming after, demonic things are going to start to raise up. Come on. They're going to try to, try to block God from coming to you. But the devil is a liar. There's nobody, nothing can stop God from passionately getting after you. Come on, somebody. Because here is the thing. Here is the thing. God has made a commitment. He has made a commitment to restore you. He's made a commitment to passion go after you. And here was the daughter was sitting there. And finally now, he gets to the place where he sees his daughter. From the time she got on the plane, he hasn't seen her. He's just passionately going after. Now he sees her. And he looks, and there she is. And so that enemy has talked about the wicked one. It says that the healing's going to come in your wings, and you're going to step on that wicked one. And here was the wicked one with one last thing left, holding his child. And he's saying, you better let her go. And he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, the father just looked and just... He took him out with one clean shot. Come on, somebody just took him right out. And he just dropped, and here she was free. And all you hear her saying was this. And these words still ring echo into my mind when I watch this movie. And this is the cry that so many of her are saying. And she said this. She says, Daddy, you came. She collapsed in his arms. Daddy, you came. Daddy, you what is his name father and he's a good good father Malachi ends with 400 years of silence Not 60 seconds, not 60 minutes, not six months, 400 years of silence. That not a word was uttered, nothing was said. And I believe to that young lady that not hearing her father's voice was so definite. But when she saw him, Daddy, you came. You, you came. And the Holy Spirit wants me to stop right there. He wants me to, to let you know. In the midst of the silence, the father was working. In the midst of the depression, the father was working. In the midst of the darkness, the father was working. He's always been working. He's always been working. And there's no other name, no other name but Father. He's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. I had some other things written on here, and I 
of how they were cool points. You know, I was going to talk about the moment of silence, the month of silence, the message of silence. God is saying, you keep silent. Yes, Lord, I will. With every head bowed, every eyes closed. Hey, babe, there were some, some challenges I went through because of a lack of a father, wasn't there? Yeah. Some things I dragged her through. Um, I've moved more time in, in one month than some of you moved your entire life. Fear just gripped me. Intimidation, I would I'd be intimidated. My... My father would have me, if, if we wanted to ride our bikes, we had to tie a rope around the bike. We lived in, in an apartment complex. It was the first floor, and they had a balcony there. And I had to tell my brothers, hey, what, can you let down the bike? And we had to, we had to tie the, the rope around the bike, and we had to, you had to let it over the balcony. Go down. Just, just as, a, as a kid to ride my bike, I had to, I had to do that. Um, if, if I was outside and it was raining and I forgot to come inside because I'm a kid just playing outside um, and I would cough I'd get in trouble because I should have known better not to get wet because don't you know if you're wet it, 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 it causes you to get a cold I'm a kid I'm a I'm 10 years old. I'm 10 years old. I, I, I don't know. And are you telling me that God is a, is, a, is a good God has a plan for my life? So I lived my life in fear, trying to get God to be proud of me. And just tried to make God proud of me. And so any authority figure that would come into my life, and if they would yell, I'll be like, don't, don't, don't yell, please. Just don't yell. But you see, on, on, on August 16, 1988, this, this young lady walked up to me, and she said, a couple of days before, we're in church, and we're sitting where some of you are sitting right now, and we would be in church, and I don't know what the guy was talking about, and she came and says, do you want to go to church camp? And I said, what? Church camp? Remember, God was silent, but he was working. Someone came up to me, Mother Cook, and said, do you want to go? Oh, a lady came up to me, and she took a risk. See, see at-risk teens are not, don't be afraid of them. They're afraid of you because you may hurt them. It's not the other way. They're not going to hurt you. You may hurt them. So she came and, and Richie and she says, do you want to go to camp? And I said, yeah, because I'll pay for you to go. And I go to camp and I'm sitting there and it's August 16, 1988. Reggie's a rapper, but he, he can't rap like me yet. He's, he's praying to get revelation for that. And so I came up with a rap. And I told him one day I'm going to say it, and 
we had this group and so if, if you understand Run DMC back then, you can see back in 1980, that was the kind of the style back then, you know, and, and the rap goes something like this. See, see, I heard the daddy say, hey, Rowan, I'm here. I'm here. And Teresa, what I saw when I came to that altar, I literally saw the enemy like this with his hands open and he's saying, I got him. And I'm falling. And I'm falling. And all of a sudden, his hand comes down out of nowhere. And says, devil, you can't have this one. He picked me up in his arms. He says, I know him by name. I came for him. So the rap goes something like this. August 16, 1988. That's when I got saved and it was great. I was walking in darkness, couldn't see the light. But thanks to God, I'm shining bright. I have won the fight, obtained the victory. Thanks be to Jesus for Calvary. And because of his, because of his death, I am now set free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. I'm free at last. You can take that, my friend. Amen. Amen. There you go. All right. All right. So here I am. I'm, I'm 10. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. At, and so I got saved. And so I gave my heart to Christ. But there was still a work to be done in me. And I end with this. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, his father, Zechariah. He couldn't speak. And so he gave birth to a child. Elizabeth gave birth to a child named John the Baptist, a forerunner for Jesus. And so this child was being born. And they says, what do you want us to call this child? And they said, we want to call you like your father. And look at what Zacharias did. First the mom says, no, you must call him John. No other name. You must call him John. Break traditions, break rules, break everything. You must call his name John. No other name will do. Why? Because we've got a revelation from heaven. That's what his name's supposed to be. I am the father, but that's the son. And you should call his name John. Yeah, okay, back in the Old Testament time, they didn't listen to what the mom said. Okay, let's go ask the father. He says, give me a writing tablet. He wrote the name. He says, my name should be called John. And the Bible says, all of a sudden, ready for this? Ready for this? Watch the sequence now. Watch when you understand the revelation of God. This is what I had to go through from the age of 13 till I was 40. This is what I had to go through. I'm sitting here as a kid who's 12, who's 13, and all this that my father is saying to me. And now I'm sitting here, and God has set me free. It's August 16. I'm 18 years old. He set me free. But watch this now. I was able to speak, but my time wasn't free yet that I was able to speak of my salvation experience but my tongue wasn't free because I had to get to a place where it's God to realize he restored everything and so right here you hear a message like this you get the revelation from God you get a sense of freedom but now I'm here to tell you that you're free your tongue is free for you to open up your mouth and you got to be able to say like I had to say at the age of 40 he is a good good father when I was able to say that, I had a freedom. I had a freedom come over me. When the enemy tries to tell me a lie, I say, devil, 
There is no other name. There is no other name. And I'll no longer be a slave to sin. I'll be no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. With everybody, every eyes closed. If that's you in this place, there's something about the gathering place that's caused me more transparent than I've ever been in my journey with Christ. It must be, I must be in alignment with God's will for my life. It must be that. You know what's the most attractive thing about McKenna's message? You know the most attractive thing I found about her message? Not her brilliance for a 16-year-old, not her, not her looks, not her demeanor. She was doing things here that takes up years to learn, her mannerism, everything like that that she was doing. You know what the most attractive thing that I noticed about her message? She was authentic. She was authentic. She was authentic. And that's what this moment is. For you to know the Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. He came. Now, Holy Spirit, you have to teach me how to launch this thing out. Being raised by a single mother, statistics says I'm supposed to have kids everywhere. Supposed to have a failed marriage. Supposed to live in poverty. Supposed to not graduate. I'm not supposed to have my health together. If I went by statistics, I'm not supposed to be these things. But I'm led by the Spirit of God. Because He's a good, good Father. Who you are, who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. I don't have to fear anymore. Who I am. Come on. It's who, who I am. am. You're a good, good father. 